0: Welcome to Equipping the Body, this is Pastor Brad Starnes, and we are continuing our walk through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and last time we were together, we looked at kind of an overall introduction of the book, asking some questions such as who, what, when, where, how, why, talking about how we know Paul is the author, talking about the historical... uh, background of the book and in, in as far as the cultural context of the city of ephesus itself um, it, how it was a gentile city and how the worship of artemis uh, was dominant there and we looked at several things of that nature we talked about the pauline introduction how paul normally starts his letter we kind of defined some terms and one of those terms i just used um, was Pauline when we read commentaries or Bible dictionaries um, any type of biblical study resource we want to define those terms for our listeners because I desire that you can use these resources and understand I, I call it seminary language the seminary language they're using so when they say Pauline epistles they're talking about epistles written by Paul the word epistle of course means letter when they use the word Petrine epistles they're talking about from Peter uh, Johannine epistles they're talking about from John. I don't know why they can't just say John, Peter, and Paul but uh, regardless we talked about those kind of things and now we've moved from looking at the background and I'm not going to rehash all that and talk about how important that is but we need to move now into uh, a careful exposition of the text so I'm going to pick back up in verse 3, verses 1 and 2, or his greeting in verse 3 through 14 creates a pericope or a section or a passage. Uh, Those are all ways of saying a series of verses in order that uh, connotate one idea or maybe one major idea and several sub-ideas, and typically in expository preaching, you would see uh, the pastor or preacher or teacher, take those pericopes, and that is from whence he draws his sermon. And so verses 3 through 14 uh, do uh, make one section, but I do not think that we will get through all those today, all those verses, because, again, this is not a sermon podcast. This is a Bible teaching and resource podcast, and so I could simply take the notes from where I've preached to the Book of Ephesians and repreach those sermons, but that's that entirely misses the point of this podcast. So let's look at verse number three. Paul says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." So blessed be. Okay, that is a way of saying praise God. Blessed be God, and so you would think of. When we're in church and somebody might say bless the Lord or praise the Lord, that is what Paul is saying. In in not so many words, he's simply praising the God. He's offering a prayer of praise towards God, okay? Notice how he connects God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so clearly in Paul's mind, Um, He has the Trinity in view. I know the Holy Spirit is not explicitly mentioned here, but we'll see throughout Paul's writings that he is robustly Trinitarian, um, as all Bible-believing Christians are. Uh, But yet at this part, we see the first two members, not first in order, but first in mention of the Trinity, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, and we know that Jesus referred to God the Father as his Father uh, when he, for example, in the most famous Bible verse in all the world, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and so we know that Son, the begotten Son, is Jesus Christ, and so Paul is speaking praises to the Father and Lord uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice he, no, he does not simply refer to Jesus Christ as just another son of God because, you know, in so, salvifically, I, I'm a son of God. When I got saved, I changed dads. Okay, Jesus said in John 9 to the Pharisees who were lost, you're of your father the devil. Well, John chapter 1 says... To them he gave the power to be called the sons of God Even to them who believe on his name So when we become saved We become the son Or of course it's generic in this sense For females daughter of God We are the children of God Only those who are born again But he's not simply referring to Jesus Notice the title Lord And so Paul not only has the humanity of Jesus in view But the divinity that Jesus is God Let me stop and make a point here Jesus is God, and we need to uh, shout that truth. We need to proclaim that truth. We need to glory in that truth. That is what separates us from the cults and from other world religions. Uh, the Mohammedan says that Jesus was a prophet. Okay, The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was a created being. The Mormons say that Jesus was one God of many gods, and he was spirit brothers with Lucifer and that at one time God himself was a man um, and became God so there's all these funky weird ideas but Jesus himself claimed to be God the Bible portrays Jesus as God and Paul uh, in agreement with everything Jesus ever said here paints Jesus as Lord okay so Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Who, now who's the former who? Blessed be the God, so connect it back. God is the who, has blessed, he's given, he's bestowed, he has gifted us. Who's us? Well, we know Paul was saved, and we know he's writing to a church, and they didn't view church the way we did. Uh, um, Unfortunately, we've cheapened church membership to... Uh, Be well. You you show up to this building and you put your name on a piece of paper. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're a member of the church. Well, that's not the way Paul viewed church membership, and and I would like to say that's not the way we should view church membership. He's writing to a local church, but he is assuming those who he's speaking with are true, repentant, saved believers. Okay, and so us believers. Let me stop here before we go any further. These blessings do not apply to lost people. Lost people have not been blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, if you are lost, you are condemned already. Now, I didn't say that, and Paul didn't say that. Jesus said that in John chapter 3. said, he that believes not is condemned already. You're not blessed if you're lost. You're condemned. But of course, thank God, if you repent of your sin and take Christ as Lord, you can be uh, blessed. So, bless us with all spiritual blessings. Now, there is an idea today, and it's not new. It's been around for years and years and years, called the prosperity gospel. That Name it and claim it. If you're right with God, you'll be healthy, wealthy, fat, and sassy. And that is just not what the Bible teaches. Jesus was homeless. Paul got his head cut off. They crucified Peter upside down. Uh, I believe it was Thomas, church history tells us, was filleted alive. Um, Jesus was crucified uh, and had nowhere to lay his head. So I don't think wealth and prosperity are promised anywhere to the believers in Christ. Our blessings are spiritual blessings. Because physical blessings, and I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us physically. Sure he does. He's blessed me physically. I've got clothes on my back. I've got food in my belly. I've got a beautiful wife and two beautiful girls, uh, children. God's blessed me with physical material, of course, but that's not the point. The point is physical blessings come and go. One of the one of these days... Uh, If the Lord tarries, my wife or I, one of us, is going to go first and that we will be disconnected, as it were, by death. Um, The day may come where I may lose my source of income and may not have clothes on my back. Um, Physical blessings come and go, but spiritual blessings are eternal, eternal. These are not uh, physical blessings such as the car I drove uh, but all good things come from the Lord, of course, we know that. But that's not what Paul has in view here. has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Notice the location. In heavenly places, notice the source, in Christ. These spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ. He's using completely spiritual language. What are these spiritual blessings? They're the eternal blessings we receive in Christ oh i don't know how about eternal life that once we've become born again and Christ is in us and we are in Christ we have received the blessing of eternal life that we will never die that when we leave this body to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord that we will never face the flames of flames of hell those who have been born again we've received the blessing of god's mercy that we will never face hell. I will never face hell. I'm saved. Jesus lives in me and I live in Christ. I have received those spiritual blessings. How about the spiritual blessings of deliverance that one day, either by death or rapture, I'll be delivered from this world. How about the spiritual blessings that coincide in sanctification that even now Christ is working in me to make not not to make me sinless, but to make me sin less, to conform me into the image of Christ. How about the spiritual blessing of peace in our heart? To know that when we die, we will be with Christ, to know that when we live, we are with Christ now. As Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are the things Paul has in view, and it's abundantly clear from the language he's using. Now Now notice the medium in verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him. According. How? How did these things come about? Well, God chose us in him, in Christ, in believers. Okay? God chose us, believers, in Christ. Well, when did he make that choice? And this is where the controversy of the text comes about. Um. I know people, good people, Christian people, who literally cannot even read this portion of Scripture without getting upset, and I don't understand that. I've heard them make statements such as, "I, I don't, I don't like the word election." Well, then you don't like the Bible. <laughs> I mean, that's what the Bible says. It's not an issue of whether you like it or not; it's what it says. Um. Or or they uh, immediately have to say this, but whosoever will, whosoever will. I, I completely agree with that. The Bible says that as well. But we're not talking about Romans 10. We're talking about Ephesians 1. And so it's important when you study the Word of God to stick with the passage that you're studying. Let it speak for itself, If, but for a moment before you begin to read in your own insecurities and ideas of what you think it should mean. Because let me remind you of this, we're not God. You're not God, I'm not God. Only God is God. And so it's important to do that. So just calm down and read the text. Use those tools we've talked about. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. God knew and allowed who would be saved before the foundation of the world now you can you can get upset about that you can argue about that but that's a bible fact before adam ever took his first step in the garden god already knew who would be saved and who would not be saved before God said, let there be light. He already knew who would be saved and who would not be saved. He had already decided. He had already allowed. Whatever whatever word you want to use, if you want to use the word discern or knew or decided or allowed, um, you, you can you can argue the semantics of that all you want to, but the Bible fact is this, God is sovereign, Okay before the foundation of the world. So before the world came about, God already had the church in his heart, the elect. Now, what did he choose us to do? That we should be holy and without blame. God chose us to be a holy people, to be conformed to the image of his son, to be without blame, to be sinless. Now, pause. But Brad, I'm not sinless and neither are you. Amen, you're correct. But in Christ, positionally, not practically, positionally, I am without sin because I've been justified in Christ. Please do not miss the key phrase in Christ and Christ in me. When God looks at me, he sees Christ. Because I'm in Christ and Christ in me. Without blame, before him in love. This was a loving discernment. This was a loving decision. This was a loving knowledge. God loves the church and gave himself for us. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not even talking about a local church. I'm talking about those people who have given their life and heart and soul and mind to Jesus Christ and have repented and have abandoned their sin, those who God has rescued through the work of the Holy Spirit, God loves them. Before the foundation of the world, God had already decided to love you. Think about that. That's really something, that God loved you before you were ever thought of in man's eyes. Before I was born, God loved me. God decided that He would bring me into this world and that He would love me and that He would convict me of my sin and call me to repentance. That's glorious. I don't fear that. I don't get upset about that. I praise His name for that. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. I'm in verse 5. Okay, Paul's belaboring this thought, he's talking about salvation predestinated. What does that mean? That means predetermined, decided beforehand. Predestinated us. Again, who's the us? Remember, I'm constantly asking these questions, who, what, when, where, how? Who, what, when, where, how? How did he do it? He predetermined it. Who did he do it? To us. Who's us? Believers. Who did it? God. That is proper inductive Bible study. Constantly asking these questions as we move through the text. Us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. How? There's that question. How did he do it, Pastor? He did it by Jesus Christ. Well, what does that look like? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, how does that look like? Even that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what did he do for us? He died for us. He is slightly referencing the re- death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God accomplished these things by the crucifixion of his son. Now we have another question. How so? Pastor, how can you say that God accomplished these things by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when you Paul just said that God decided these things before the foundation of the world. I can answer that question. What does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So let's go back to that. Before Adam took his first step in the garden, Jesus Christ was as good as crucified. The cross was not God's backup plan. The cross was God's plan from the beginning. That's the how. By Jesus Christ. Who? Jesus Christ. How? By Jesus Christ. By what? By his death, burial, and resurrection. Okay. Now let me get back to this idea of adoption. The adoption of children. The adoption of children. Paul is writing... To a culture that was under Roman rule, the Roman practices of adoption—that once one child was adopted, now I'm not going to go too far into this—that they could never be uh, let go. That it was a this was a permanent thing in Roman law. So Paul uses the culture to make a point that once you are saved, it is a permanent issue. You've been adopted. Uh, And and Paul's readers, and their culture would have looked at looked at this, and because of their knowledge of Roman adoption practices, and in the culture that Paul wrote in, they would have known that he's speaking of permanence. This is permanent. This cannot be undone. God could not foreknow you and then forget you. This destroys the idea, the false notion that you can be saved today and lost tomorrow. It's just not possible. There's no allowance for that in Scripture. All right. By Jesus Christ, I'm still in verse 5, to himself. To whose self? To himself, to God's self. By Jesus Christ, but to himself. God brought us into his own family, to himself. Now, what or why should we say that God did this? Notice the next phrase. According to the good pleasure of his will. The good pleasure of whose will? His will. Who's The his? God's. It was God's will to do these things. It was his good pleasure. Can I put it to you in plain English? Because he wanted to. Who can look at God and say why? Because he wanted to. God does not answer to us. You remember when Job began to question God and God looked at Job and I'm paraphrasing of course and said, where were you when I created the Leviathan? Where were you when I brought the planet into orbit? In other words, who do you think you're talking to? Why did God do that? Pat? The only answer I have is the answer Paul gave. It was according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. This should incite a, a heart of praise for us when we look at these sh- few short verses and realize all that God has done for us. That God has adopted us. That God foreknew us predetermined us, that God loved us, that he did it how? By Jesus Christ, that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins, that he's given us all the spiritual blessings. What kind of blessing? Remember, who, what, when, where? You're going to hear me reference those questions so many times that you're going to get sick of it, but I promise you, if you read your Bible asking those questions, you will have more understanding. And so what kind of blessings? Spiritual blessings. Eternal blessings. Heaven, grace, peace, mercy, love, joy, eternal life. Not money, clothes, and cars. Well, where? In heavenly places. We enjoy some of these things now, but we enjoy them fully when we die and go to heaven. What we get now is but a shadow, my friend. Where? In Christ. Who? Christ. Who gets them? Us, believers, constantly asking these questions. And I hate to cut this off in the middle of a verse, but as you can see, when you read your Bible asking those questions, then you tend to spend a lot more time in a short amount of space. But I promise you this, you'll understand a lot more. And so I hope that you'll continue... Reading through the book of Ephesians with me. Read ahead if you want to. Ask those questions as you're reading. Reference your tools, your Bible dictionaries, your commentaries. If you're concerned about what kind of commentary, go back and listen to the episode Tools of the Trade. And i tell you things to look for and to look out for in selecting biblical research materials. Until next time, I hope you have a blessed day.